Hey, I'm Sean Canungo. This is another episode of Dangerous Ideas. We break down concepts and frameworks that will change your life. Hey, everybody, another episode of Dangerous Ideas. Dangerous Ideas is a podcast where we break down concepts and frameworks that will change your life, change your career, change your business, but most importantly, change your life. My name is Sean Canungo. I'm an innovation strategist and author, and um, in this podcast... Uh, what we do is we're we're trying to we're trying to like break down these concepts mostly from me, but to be honest with you, sometimes we do these solo podcasts where um, I actually take podcasts from other leaders and elites and uh, people that are in the culture and see what they say, so that I can sort of create my narrative and and. and and put my spin on what they're saying. These are some of my favorite podcasts. We got a lot of feedback with uh, the last solo pod that we did. So super excited about bringing some more dangerous ideas to the table today. And hey, by the way, a lot of people have been talking about, Sean, like you have a great setup, but you're holding the, po- you're holding the mics. You got a great setup on holding the mics. Well, listen, uh, we, got, we got the mic stands back, okay? Thank you for your feedback, okay? You, you thought we looked low class by holding the mics. We got the mic stands back. And I just actually want to give a shout out. I've been waiting for this follow for a very long time. Um, Jennifer Garg is now following the Dangerous Ideas pod on Instagram. Like, I've just been waiting for this. We, it's, been, it's been months in the waiting um, but she's now following this pod. Wow. Shout out to Jennifer. Thank you so much for following the pod. We made it. We made it. We made it. Um, it's, it's a beautiful day. Anyways, let's get to the podcast. Um, and what I want to do is bring in a podcast from one of my favorite podcasts that I've been listening to for years, uh, the A16Z podcast. And specifically, actually, this is a, uh, an episode from Ben Horowitz. And Mark Andreessen, some of the uh, OGs in the venture capital world, Async CZ is probably the most powerful VC firm on the planet. And Ben and Mark have been doing this incredible uh, series where they've just been t- chatting about all these different topics. And most importantly, over the last number of months, uh, they've been actually deep, deep diving in the world of higher education. And the dangerous idea from Mark Andreessen is this idea of breaking the status rules when it comes to higher education and how we are starting to break the status rules when it comes to higher education. Um, As you know, higher education is just a world of status games, and I'll talk to you a little bit as to why that is. But let's drop the clip from Mark Andreessen talking about status in higher education. The single, like the highest status thing you could do as a parent in the Bay Area five years ago was send your kid to one of the super elite private schools. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and, you know, we actually had our kid. Oh, it's a war to get into those schools. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like, I think in the Bay Area now, like it's at least as high status or maybe higher status to like uh, have your kids in like one of these super elite uh, homeschool pots um, with like super top end, uh, tutors. Um, and you know, the, the, those kids at the very tippy top of the, let's say the socioeconomic scale, they're, 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 you know, the parents are opting out of the private schools and they're, they're just, you know, taking responsibility for their kids' educations. And as we discussed last time, like that is the traditional method of, of the aristocracy. The traditional method of the aristocracy educating their kids is not to send them to some school. It's to, it's to, is to, is to have them have tutors and private teachers. 
And so if, if, the, if, the, if the upper, upper tippy top of the socioeconomic stratum starts to do that, and that's the highest class thing to do, then you could, then you could imagine a future system in which, you know, more and more parents kind of throughout society are like, oh, like I, there actually is an escape hatch. Um, I, you know, in other words, being on the traditional track actually is not the route to the highest status. There's this other route and I should maybe be more creative and thinking about the trajectory that my kids have, including ultimately the question of whether they go to college. Listen, the reason why we go to higher education is because it's a giant luxury brand. It is signaling to the world that we are valuable. The reason why kids go to university is because they can get something stamped on their back. They can get a Louis Vuitton, a Gucci stamped on the back. So the organization, uh, a brand, a company will say this person must be valuable because they went and they have this Gucci bag or this Gucci logo on the back of their neck. Okay. That's why people go to university is to signal to other people that they're important. Um, Universities have used this, this status game to essentially uh, accrue re their reputation, their brand, and value over years. Um, this is why the high-status universities, Stanford, Yale, Harvard, they've accrued incredible reputations and rankings and funding and press and recruitment, retention of staff because they have this incredible status. And parents want to send their students to these higher uh, you know, status institutions because they're hoping that their kids end up with a high status job. Um, and you know, th th this is the cycle. Uh, the other piece is that when you have alumni that do really well in the world, Harvard or Yale or Stanford can point to those individuals and say, hey, they are doing incredible things in the world. They are part of what we did. It's an entire cycle, okay? And so what Mark Andreessen is bringing up is a dangerous idea, which is breaking the high status rules of higher education and giving people an alternative. And we all know that we all follow high-status individuals. Um, and if we follow high-status individuals and they're not sending their children to universities uh, and to these elite universities and they're taking an alternative route, a route that means they're an escape hatch for everyone. Um, if they're putting their kids into you know, private pods for education, they're getting their private tu tutors, they're putting their kids into the Teal Fellowship or, or other forms of education, then that gives us an alternative route uh, to put our kids. Because let's be honest, uh, we, 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 we want to, we, this is what we've done throughout history, we follow where the, the, the elites are going uh, because that is where, that you know that that's just what we've done we we, we they are signaling uh you know something and we just follow them okay um and so this gives us an opportunity to uh uh go somewhere else this gives us an opportunity to send our kids to another another school where we don't have to spend you know tens of thousands or hundred thousand dollars or 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 more and and having all this student debt which is um, really crippling this next generation because, as you know, like inflation, um, wages. I mean, it, it's getting more and more hard to 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 buy a home today. And plus, you have this crippling debt um, on top of it. 
And, and I think this is a great way. And, and let's be honest, let's talk about university. Like, wh- why do people actually go to university? People go to university um, not for the education. Uh, they think they're going for the education, but really what they're getting out of it is they are learning how to, like, they're learning about themselves. They're learning how to make a friend. They're mer- learning how to make love. They're learning how to, you know, be in a friend group. They're learning about other parts of their life, not just the education. We know that the best education is not at universities. The best education is on the internet. The best education is on YouTube. If you want to uh, learn, just like go to the best experts around the world and you can find them. Literally Masterclass has Steph Curry and Serena Williams and, 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 and Gordon Rams. If you want to learn how to cook, you want to learn how to shoot a three-pointer, just go to Masterclass. Um, this is not sponsored by Masterclass, but hey, listen, if you want to sponsor this pod, you, you can, you, I'm happy for you to do that. But um, all this to be said, universities are luxury brands that we all want and finally, somebody, they are, we are breaking the mold. And I believe, you know, my kids are, this is like a co- topic that's like near and dear to my heart because, you know, my kids are seven, four, and 11 months. And there is this pressure for our kids to go to these post-secondary in- institutions. For what? For what? For education? For knowledge? For them to get a, listen, if they want to be in a field where you need that, like if they want to be a doctor or they want to be a, I don't know, what else? Engineer. Uh, you know, maybe it's good to go to the, you know, these institutions. And I'm not against it. I'm not against them actually going to university to like learn how to make a friend and learn how to go to the club. Like, I, I'm not opposed to that. Um, and that's why I would, I'm still in favor of, our kids going to university, but if there's an alternative route where they can still get that socialization and this opportunity to meet other people and to learn from each other, if there's an alternative route for that, like I'm, I'm more than happy to set putting my kids into that because I know that the best education is not on, uh, not in school. It's, 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 it's on the internet. Um, and so the reason why this is fascinating to me is because I, to this point, I don't officially know if I want my kids to go to university or not. So, you know, dangerous idea, breaking this, 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 this high status rule when it comes to uh, 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 these elite institutions. I love this dangerous idea. Okay, so the next dangerous idea is from uh, two thinkers, entrepreneurs, uh, uh, you know, tech enthusiasts, um, Arthi and Shriram, they have this really great uh, uh, podcast uh, on their own, but they were actually on this, another podcast called Moment of Zen. By the way, these are episodes that like, not like tens of thousands of people are watching. Very few people are watching this. And I'm picking out like these really narrow pieces from these podcasts, things that are, are super interesting uh, to me. And so this is Arthi and Shriram on the Moment of Zen podcast talking about the idea of low culture people and high culture people. And I just thought that this was the most fascinating insight, uh, something that we've been talking about on the pod um, as well. But I, I, I want to break it down here. This is Sri Ram and Arthi. And what usually fascinates me is when something crosses over from one world to the other. Uh, so, for example, I think Kim Kardashian is super interesting in this respect because Kim Kardashian came from the world of reality television uh, and social media. 
which historically, you know, was not a place you associate with high fashion. But if you look at, you know, Kim and she's been amazing at, you know, what she's done, how she's done it herself and her whole family, right? Uh, they're no high culture. Like, you know, uh, think like everything from being a, a well-known activist to, you know, running really large enterprises to not just sort of like Kendall, everybody. So that's, I think, a super interesting uh, transition. The other example, I, 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 so I think I pay attention when somebody goes from sort of like mass market product to kind of elite yeah. approval. Because I don't think it happens too often. Well, yeah, but isn't one, that just, just a, another example of attention, right? Like Kim Kardashian, it, her 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 business, her product, her her power is all from attention. It's not like she owns like factories and all this other kind of stuff. She it's just like the fact that she has an Instagram account with two hundred million people following it, it. It's just like purely based on attention. But that is true. But sometimes I think people don't cross over. Like for example, in the literary world, uh, like you know, if well, there are popular authors who, if you least read their interviews, they're always a little bit grumpy that they never win a Booker Prize, right? That they're never going to get like a fantastic, uh, you know, Paris review or New Yorker piece about them. And there's hundreds of millions of uh, books. And I, I, for example, I think of like something like James Patterson, right? Mm. So it's hundreds of millions of books, maybe one of the most successful authors of all time, but they never kind of get that literary stamp of credibility. So I think that, I think one way one interesting question, like sometimes people just by virtue of being so popular cross over because even the elite need eyeballs they need attention right that's how they monetize you need to bring in the young audiences that's really a factor but sometimes they don't and i think it's worth studying why i think you're trying to say not all attention is the same maybe some attention is high class high culture some attention is low culture and uh you know you just cater to one one cohort versus the other and if they're able to transcend that boundary yeah. then it becomes really yeah. interesting i don't think the other interesting phenomenon by the way is i have meeting folks in both worlds i found they're often jealous of the others so, for example, the folks in quote-unquote high culture often are they like, hey, I want to sign autographs on the streets. I want to be out there with 100 million followers. I want to make a lot of money. And, you know, I want to have a movie which shows up an IMAX and plays with how many people pick your metric. On the other hand, I often talk to people, you know, who have, you know, lots, you know, who have huge success, build products or, you know, written movies which are played and they're like, I really want that amazing review or that I want that one award which is determined by 10 people. So I kind of find it ironic because I meet people on both sides and everyone kind of wants to be on the other. <laughs> um, I love this idea and this insight that not all attention is the same. Not all attention is the same. You have two classes, right? You have the high, high culture and low culture. So in this uh, clip, Shriram is breaking down that somebody like Kim Kardashian started in low culture. She started in reality television, to be honest with you. She started in reality television and then she, she had a, like a sex tape. Like this is as low culture as you can get. And then, but over time, she has become more high culture, right? She's, she's actually one of the people that can cross both, which is still have a reality show, yet still be the face of Balenciaga, uh, you know, go to the Met, uh, you know, ha have all these great, uh, you know, be a brand ambassador to Balenciaga and LVMH and, and Gucci, like what we would consider as high culture, you know, uh, be, go go to Harvard and 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 do a class there. Like she's done all these like high, high culture things, and she's a. What Shreeman is mentioning is that there are very few people on the planet that can go from low culture to high culture and sort of cross that chasm, right? Um, and the other 
interesting idea is that high culture individuals are jealous of low culture individuals because um, if you are typically in high culture, you don't have like mass appeal, right? You don't have that broad awareness. While people that have are in low culture, um, they don't get the accolades or they're not invited to the, to the fancy parties. They don't get all the awards. And I feel like this is, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you a couple more examples of these, the, you know, low culture, high culture. So somebody like Alex Hermosi is, in my mind, low culture, right? He comes from the gym world. He's creating content from uh, a, a mass perspective, right? His content is, is for the, for, you know, mass appeal, broad awareness. He doesn't have the, you know, he's not, he's not in like, you know, HBR uh, or, you know, in Harvard Magazine or he's not in these like elite circles. So he is an example of low culture and maybe we'll see if he goes to high culture. Somebody like Joe Rogan as well I would consider as low culture, right? He came, he comes from the UFC world. He is uh, a podcaster, um, which is funny because now podcasts are almost low low culture because it's so ubiquitous and so accessible. And, you know, he's considered, I would say, low culture because for his mass appeal. And maybe at at, at one point he could be high culture, right? Um, Somebody that is, who's crossed that chasm as well is somebody who's Emma Chamberlain, who is low culture. She's like creating YouTube videos, but she could be at the Met, right? And she's like, so she's somebody that is crossing the boundaries just like Kim Kardashian as low culture and high culture. Somebody who's like very high culture would be like somebody like um, Timothy Chalamet, right? Very high culture, doesn't have like mass appeal. Most people don't know who Timothy Chalamet is, but Timothy Chalamet will get like an Oscars nomination, right? Um, you, you see this this battle between low culture and high culture in at the Oscars. You know, back in the day, like a, a movie like from the Avengers or or the Marvel Universe would never get an Oscar nomination. But now you're because it's low culture. It's like superhero movie. It's not like a high highfalutin like drama. Um, but now you're starting to see movies like Barbie, for example. I mean, it's not a great. It wasn't the best movie in the world. It's a mass appeal, low culture movie. Uh, but now you're seeing it, uh, you know, getting an Oscar nomination, which is considered high culture. And so you're starting to see some of these high culture um, platforms really embrace local low culture. This is why you're seeing, you know, uh, uh, you know, high culture brands like LVMH embrace streetwear, and and you know their creative designer for men is is Pharrell, right? And Pharrell is another example of somebody that has gone from low culture to high culture hip hop probably considered low culture because of its mass appeal. Pharrell ha- is now at the, like, he's of, of the elite of elite when it comes to high culture. So the, it's just like really interesting. And if I think about myself, um, you know, I, I would consider myself more in the high culture realm because I, um, you know, I go to these 
you know, I, I'm invited to these keynotes. I'm working with all these big brands. But I would love, like, I am jealous of low culture. Like, I am jealous of people that have incredible intention, like, like Hermosi and, and, and these individuals that are garnering mass appeal. Like, I would love that too. And so this is what Sriram is mentioning, is that people of low culture uh, are jealous of people in the elite circles and the elite culture is jealous of people in low culture. So um, I want to be more, I mean, that's why I'm doing this pod. I want to be more low culture, but I guess the topics that I'm like coming up with, which is around this topic, which is a really, really niche topic around low culture and high culture and status is not really a low culture thing. Do you know what I mean? Anyways, super meta, but I love, um, and the reason why I love this, this concept of status and culture is because this is what, um, I believe, you know, my next book is going to be about which is around status and how it drives innovation. And, and so I've been just on this hunt for finding, finding, um, you know, different examples of this. Okay. So switching topics a little bit, um, at the start of the year, I was listening to David Goggins, who's a ex Navy SEAL. He's probably one of the biggest psychopaths on the planet in terms of his work ethic. And this guy does like marathons for fun uh or for pain and he's just like probably the most motivational person on the planet just like his his brute force when it comes to um his just work ethic and his mindset i mean it's incredible and i i thought it was really cool that he was on the andrew huberman podcast andrew huberman is somebody that breaks down um really in-depth science topics um, probably the most trusted person in health and wellness because of his deep dives on particular subjects. He really brings in the research and super well-trusted. So you have somebody like David Goggins on the Andrew Huberman podcast. And I, I, gotta, I, I, I listened to this in the new year and one of the best podcast clips, one of the most motivating podcast clips that you will ever hear. And uh, I'm just blessing you with this clip. You can play it now. It's funny, man. People want to know how I'm always motivated. It's the unseen work, which you just said is a true statement. Those are false dopamine hits that people are giving you, man. There's no belief in that. These are team work dopamine. Like, I'm out running at 2 o'clock in the morning, 1 o'clock in the morning, in the gym, long sessions by myself. You, That's real. How I'm able to just extract dopamine, the good dopamine whenever I want. Man, I've trained 99% of my life alone. No one pat me on the back. I did all of the work alone. And while I'm still hard on myself, I know what I did. So whenever times get bad for me, people, all this, who's gonna carry the boats and law? That's real. I hate that people know me for that guy. Because that guy is not every fucking day. Like, when they see me, they want that energy. That's not me every day. I can extract it immediately when I need to because when you train alone, and I lived alone for so many years in this misery, and you're able to get out of it by yourself, I can take myself to such a level of real, real passion and purpose. And, like, the feeling I get is something I can't even explain by myself. I don't need anyone. That's why, that's why people come to me to motivate them. No one can motivate me. I have a resume full of fucking motivation. 
that whenever I'm down, I'm like, oh, hang on, motherfucker. Oh, you know, you know the truth. You know the truth. You know the darkness of the fucking dungeons and the fucking demons that fly. You know. And then from there, it's like, okay, you were there. You know this. There was no one there to pick up the rucksack, to pick up the boat, to pick up the log, to go in there. It was you. It was you. There was no pat on the fucking back at 300, at, at 275, at 250, at 220. No, that was you. So those things that come out of me, that extract from me in the darkness, people are looking for that pat on the back. Where is it? Oh, I don't need it. Because what I've done is in the fucking unseen work, I built Frankenstein. So whenever shit gets nasty, David Goggins goes, you had nobody anyway, motherfucker. So see how I'm talking myself right now? That's me. That shit fires me the fuck up. That shit makes me fucking nuts. You had nobody anyway, motherfucker. Look around you. There was no fucking team. It was you. There was no weight loss program or mom and dad waking you up saying you can do it, you can be better, trying to build belief. You built belief when you had nothing. Rock bottom. You did that. So as times get hard for me, the truth comes out. And my truth is powerful as fuck. It's real. It's tangible. I feel it. It comes out of my brain as I speak about it. I'm reliving every single dark moment of my life to be here. So that is what people don't get. That is what motivates David Goggins is the unseen work. But everybody needs that pat on the back. <laughs> Listen, replay that just every morning. Just replay that every single morning. Uh, just absolutely raw and incredible insight. Um, a complete dangerous idea that you should just be motivated by your own unseen work. And what David Goggins does really well is that he goes into the depths of his pain and then that is like the source of his motivation. He's like, he doesn't need any motivation. He's already built the motivation over years. He just goes in his his bag and just all those times that he's struggled, all those times that he's been in the darkness where he's faced uncertainty, when he's like picking up the logs, he's like, you know, no sleep. Like he just, he pulls from that and that becomes his motivation. It's like, I, I did that. I remember doing that. And I think that's a really great reminder that sometimes like we need the motivation when in reality we already have it. And so, uh, an amazing clip and uh, something that I wish I'm going to, I'm going to play over and over again and just remind myself that, listen, I've gone through some tough times. I've gone through some really painful periods of my life and seeing how I can bring what I did during those times when no one else was looking for my own motivation. It's like, wait a minute, this is tough, but like, I've been here before. I've been here before. And so I just believe that, yeah, you can play David Goggins as your motivation. And actually, somebody should just make a, 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 just some music behind that and just play it because it's, uh, it's absolutely incredible. So uh, David Goggins, probably one of the, my favorite clips. All right. Um, this clip, 
is something that I clipped that I think I rewatched about 10 times when I uh, first heard it. This is like at the end of a Stephen A. Smith uh, solo podcast. He's literally like in the 50th minute and he's talking about how his ambition, so if you don't know who Stephen A. Smith is, Stephen A. Smith is probably one of the most um, influential sports broadcasters on the planet. He is the uh, the, the the leader, the most viewed uh, sports broadcaster on the planet. He works for ESPN. But he, what's been interesting is that he's been building his own brand, his own personal brand on his own channel. This is something that I've talked about on previous podcasts. And this clip is something that I've watched about 10 times. And it's motivating to me because it's somebody that's an employee of another organization um, trying to build his own IP and trying to build his own brand and what motiv- motivated him to do that. So let's play the clip. Folks lamented how folks are being laid off, but Pat McAfee arrived at ESPN. Pat McAfee wasn't hired by ESPN. Pat McAfee was acquired by ESPN via the Pat McAfee show. He had a product that he built through his grit, his hard work, his determination, his focus, his brilliance, and he turned it in to a $120 million deal that was once given to him by FanDuel. ESPN acquired that business. He's not an employee. He's a product that was acquired. I would know because I'm an employee who's trying to become a product. That is the world that we're living in. Y'all listen to who y'all want to. I want to listen to Jay-Z. I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. That's my aspiration. That's what Pat McAfee achieved. It's what Colin Cowherd achieved. It's what Dan Patrick achieved. It's what Joe Rogan achieved. It's what Bill Simmons achieved. Are you paying attention? That always hits me. He's, he's like, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? The powers, the power is in the individual. The power has shifted from institutions to individuals. And I keep saying this in every podcast until everyone sees it, is that even somebody like Stephen A. Smith who is the most popular, the most important sports broadcaster on the most important sports channel on the planet of ESPN is trying to create his own entity. You are the product at the end of the day. No matter who you work for, no matter where you live, you are the product. His inspiration is somebody like Pat McAvee who ESPN bought for like, 80 to 100 million dollars um, to create to basically license his own show. He's Pat McAvee is a like an NFL analyst who start. He used to be a punter. He started his own show. ESPN acquired that show, and he is the product at the end of the day. And so 
one of my favorite clips. It's a reminder of what I am trying to do, which is that, and, and I already knew that when, when I left my firm, that I was the product, and I continue to be the product. And so um, this is a reminder to anybody that's working for somebody else or working for yourself that your brand equity is your safety net at the end of the day. So just keep building. All right, let's keep going. Um, and to me, this is, this, is one of my, uh, this is one of my favorite. I have another piece here, but we're kind of running out of time. But um, Brianna Price. Brianna Price is Connor Price's wife. She is a marketing genius. Connor Price is an artist. He's uh, out of Canada. He's absolutely been blowing up on TikTok and creating his own world when it comes to, to music and artistry. Um, like one of the most talented artists that you'll see today, not only from a musical standpoint, but his ability to create incredible content out of his, out of his TikToks. Like just you got to watch his TikToks. It's incredible. But I heard this podcast on the My First Million podcast uh, with Sam Parr and Sean Puri, one of my favorite podcasts, they had Connor Price and Brianna Price on their podcast. This is probably one of the best podcast episodes that I've ever listened to. But Brianna Price, you got to listen to her insight on how she thinks about music and content. Let's drop it. Like uh, the behind the scenes. But yeah, every that. every couple seconds, like every four to five seconds, there's just something new. There's like a new, like if you're thinking of leaving, you're like, okay, wait, maybe I'll stay. Oh, I'm thinking of leaving. Oh, wait, I want to see him. Oh, he's about to start. I'll stay. Like there's even with the carrot flute video, you'll notice every time there's like a dull moment, we have a of the drill. Right. And it's like, oh, I'm staying. Like the weird brother pops in and like surprises. It's like every kind four of like to five seconds. We two or three to. seconds almost. Like the attention is about yeah. to lapse. Open up a new curiosity. Yeah. We even we even do that with the music creation. So if Connor's writing a verse and the flow is the same for too long, I'll be like, that's not contentable. I need you to switch your flow up faster so that there can be a new moment where the beat drops and the producer goes, <gasps> Yeah. Like Yeah, when once we started seeing how well the content was doing for the music, I started approaching my my creative process with writing the music, thinking about what the content would be. And a lot of times the content would come first. So I would think, you know, that whole carrot flute video did so well. And then we started thinking, what other weird instruments could we use? And then we would think of a weird instrument like a xylophone. And then we made a xylophone beat. Oh, or one we wanted to do one where the fire alarm goes off mid-recording session. But he's like, wait, stay. That sounds sick. And then they bring out the beat pad and, and make then a we, song. we wrap over a fire alarm. alarm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a, a lot of times we would think of the content first and then make the song. Was there like a revenue number in mind that you guys oh, need God. to have in order to make this a full-time yeah, job? Yeah, my, my dream was like, I want to make $10,000 a month from this. I'm like, if we can make $10,000 a month, I'll be like the happiest person in the world. And I don't, know if, I don't know if you guys know how it works, but it's roughly, there's a lot of variables, but on average, a million streams is around $4,000 USD. On and, Spotify. On Spotify. And we're averaging like 60 million streams a month right now. Across our so catalog. So things are yeah. just pretty crazy and I don't think most people know that there's that potential because in music you hear there's no money in streaming but I'm like that's because labels own 80% of your songs but if you own your songs there's a shit ton of money in streaming and I kind of <laughs> want to just bring awareness to that yeah Brianna Price is the goat I mean Connor Price is great but Brianna Price is the goat I actually messaged Brianna Price I like I GDM'd her and I just thanked her because her insights uh, on marketing and content were so uh, incredible and uh, she's the goat she's the goat 
Um, and what I found really remarkable about this dangerous idea is that they are looking at content in reverse. So Connor Price is a musician, and most musicians, they create a song, and they, they're like, okay, how do we promote this song, and how do we create content out of this song? Like, how do we create a, you know, most artists would be like, how do we create a music video? Or like, how do we create a TikTok? Uh, how do we create a video out of this particular song? But they are looking at this in reverse. They're saying, how do we put out a really compelling piece of content, and then that should inform how we make our music. Do you see what they're doing? They're literally reversing how we think about the entire model. And I think this is incredibly inspiring. Saying, you know, even thinking about, you know, other parts of your life. Like how could you re reverse engineer it and think, of, think about it the other way around? Like, you know, for example, with this podcast, it's like, how do we think about how this podcast is going to resonate on TikTok and in short form video and then build the content around it so that it hits. Like thinking like that is such a counterintuitive way of thinking. And so I love Brianna Price's insights. And I just wanted to shift. I want to include the other piece where she talks about the money in, in, in music and how they are making a boatload um, leveraging Spotify. Um, so she mentioned something which was most people don't make music money in music because it goes to the label. It's split in so many different ways. But if you are getting a ton of streams on your own content, then that will generate you know, significant funds. And it brings me to uh, one of the hot topics, and we do this at the end of the pod, where we talk about you know, hot topics. And one of the hot topics right now is that TikTok and UMG, Universal Music Group, have now come to, an, come to a disagreement where now, Universal, now TikTok can't use Universal's music. So like Taylor Swift, The Weeknd, Drake, uh, Ariana Grande, none of this music is going to be on TikTok. So people can't use their music uh, on TikTok, and I think that this is the dumbest move that I've ever seen um, in my entire life when it comes to music. Um, I talked about this in, a, in the last pod, that the medium dictates the culture, that the medium dictates the culture. The medium is the message at the end of the day. And so if you are not on culture, if you are not on the platform that dictates culture, right now, TikTok is what dictates culture. And if you are not on the platform that dictates culture, then you're not gonna be making the culture. And people like Connor Price that is on TikTok, that is garnering, gener generating revenue through Spotify and other means, they understand that TikTok is the culture. And guess what? My hot take is that these artists, either these artists are going to leave Universal and they're gonna be like, listen, I need my music on TikTok because that is the culture. And the other thing is that all these independent artists that have been putting out their music on TikTok, they're just gonna become bigger. Because let's not forget, right now, the music used to be the culture way back in the day. And that used to dictate the culture, but right now the platforms dictate the culture. TikTok dictates the culture. So you should always be where the culture is, which is on TikTok. And so I think this is a this is a, a blow. I think thirty I think thirty two percent of music like uh it, like on TikTok is 
from uh, Universal. I think 20% is on Sony. And so this is a huge blow. Um, always move to where the culture is. And the culture is on TikTok. You can listen to the last episode, solo episode, where I break this down. Um, anyways, short episode for you guys. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you got to do this pod. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you soon on another episode of Dangerous Ideas. Peace.